Welcome to Moran Talmud, the podcast where we explore the depths of Jewish philosophy through the lens of Moran Avuchim and other great Jewish philosophers. Join us as we delve into the intricacies of the Talmud and gain a deeper understanding of various sugyas in Shas. Tonight's going to going to be about time, and um, I started with the quote here from Augustine. I've tried to stay away from from the Christian philosophers because they were all a bunch of anti-Semites, in all honesty. Um, but but for this quote, I couldn't uh, I couldn't resist. Um, what then is time? I know well enough what it is, provided no one asks me. But if I'm asked what it is and try to explain, I do not know. And this is a quote from Augustine. Where he discusses time, and maybe we'll mention what he has to say about time. But, but this I thought was a great way of putting what time is, how time works, and it's one of those very complicated things. And Hashem Hashem will try get a bit of an understanding, and try see how it can affect halacha, try affect how we understand certain things. So to start with, before we get into time, we can look at Gemara and Bamitzia. Which Gomorrah is talking about Schar Shabbos. The Gomorrah is talking about getting a reward for Shabbos. Getting, not reward, getting paid for working on Shabbos. So it says the Gomorrah, someone who hires a worker to guard their cow, carries on to guard their baby, to guard their, um, their, like their seeds, their growing little plants. Um, you can't give him Schar Shabbos. You can't pay him for Shabbos. So a person hires a day laborer, you can't hire him for Shabbos, and therefore he doesn't take responsibility for Shabbos. If you have a person, you pay him by day, uh, so therefore he, he doesn't work on Shabbos, because you can't pay him for Shabbos, and therefore he doesn't take responsibility for his job on Shabbos also. So you can't come with claims when your cow's running around the streets, uprooting, whatever, because this guy, it doesn't work on Shabbos, because you can't pay him for Shabbos, you can't get to Shabbos. So says the Gemara further on. He was hired for a week. Over here, Shabbos being a week. He was hired for a month. He was hired for a year. Okay. So if he's hired for the week, you give him, you give him the schar of Shabbos. You give him the payment of Shabbos. Okay. You can still, you can give him then the payment of Shabbos so as long as you hire him for a week for. A, for a period of time of a week, you can hire him for Shabbos. And Lafikach, therefore, the obligation, the responsibility of Shabbos is on him. Um, he, and you and you have to you have to pay him, and he would have to pay, and he'd take responsibility for his guarding on Shabbos. So what we see here is, and let's just see Rashi actually. Rashi says the next source, Ain not in Shabbos. You can't give him the Schar Shabbos, you can't give him the payment for Shabbos. As long as he's a day laborer, he's paid per day, he's hired per day, there's no obligation, there's no discussion further than a day. He decides not to come to work, or you decide the next day not to hire him. That's it. That's a day laborer, and therefore he's, therefore you can't pay him for Shabbos because that would be working on Shabbos. When you hire him for a week, a month, or a year, not in Schar Shabbos, you give him his payment for Shabbos. Shenivla, it swallowed the schar shayrayom because it swallowed um, in the payment for the other days of the week. But Adam of Rosh Hashanah is not explicitly for Shabbos. So it comes out from Rashi as long as your payment, the payment that's being paid, is for all the other days of the week, 
interesting because if he loses it on Shabbos, then he machayev it. Yeah, he machayev. Sure he still he was, no, no. He, he still needs to work on Shabbos. He, he still needs to work on Shabbos as long as he's not. And that's what Rashi says. As long as it's swallowed, as long as it's swallowed in all the other days and the other payments of the week, then and it's not furish. It's not explicitly for Shabbos. You're not hiring for Shabbos, but you're hiring for a week, a month, or a year. Then you and, and then then you're paying for Shabbos. You can get paid for Shabbos. And then this is, uh, and then that, this basically this halacha passed in, in the next halacha in the Rambam. Basically, the the exact same thing. When a hires, the Rambam says, when a hires a worker to God, his car, God, his baby, you can't give him schar of Shabbos, can't give him the payment of Shabbos. And then he carries on and he says, but if you hire him for a week, for a year, you give him the payment of Shabbos, and therefore the obligation of Shabbos is also on him. But you shouldn't say to him, give me my payment for Shabbos. Rather, you should say, give me the payment for the year, or for the 10 days, or for whatever it happens to be. Shulchan Aruch, in the next source, in Simon Shinvav, paskins the same halacha, okay, and he, he paskins the same halacha. Now, comes along, okay, so, um, so, so then, then there's the Ramor that says, and this Ramor is a, a very interesting Ramor, based off an Aguda, based off Iran, then the Ramor says, that if you, in this, in the bold, the im, he made a condition, he hired him for a month. He made a condition, I'm going to pay you per month, but I'm going to pay you if it's a 30-day month, 30 days, if it's a 29-day month, 29 days. Okay, if it was, you know, in the Goethe calendar, 31 days, whatever it's going to be, I'm going to pay you per month, I'm going to hire you for the whole month. The agreement is a monthly agreement, but your payment is going to be dependent on the amount of days. So that is called a schirion, that is called a daily wage, a daily labor. And therefore, says the Ramon, he's you're not allowed to do that. There would be a problem of Shabbos. You wouldn't be allowed to pay someone for Shabbos. Your person wouldn't be allowed to work their one Shabbos. And um, yeah, that would be it. On the other hand, the base Yosef um, brings that Rabbi Shonim Acholik on this. The passionless of the Rambam is, is Cholik on it. And to, dis- to understand what is the Machlokes, what is the discussion, the Rambam holds. So that we come out that the Ramam hold, you say, you're going to have a, a monthly agreement. I'm going to pay you every month. But you know what's going to happen? Every month. And if I want to terminate the contract, it's got to be at the end of the month. But I'm hiring you for a whole month. But I'm going to pay you per month. I'm going to pay you the amount of days in the month. Says the Ramam, that'd be fun. 100% kosher. I can work on Shabbos. Because I'm hiring you for a month. Says the Ramam, no. You're not, allowed to, you're not allowed to do that. The person wouldn't be allowed to work on Shabbos because... You're not actually hiring for a month. It's a daily wage. Okay, so that's... Not like set. No, no, if you are, If a person would say... You know, if the, if if the price was the... If you but you say I'm going to pay him for uh, 30 days, that's the problem. That's the problem. The, that or or the agreement. You don't, I'm saying the, as long as the agreement is different, what type of month it is, whether it's a, whether it's a Chasa month of 29 days, a Male month of 30 days, whether it's a February month of 28 days, or January month of 31 days, as long as that's different and your, the, your payment's different, as long as you get in a different a different salary per month, depending on how long the month is, that the Ramah said will be a problem. But the Ramam says that will be 100% fine. So how does the Ramah allow you to get in Shabbos? No, so it has to be that you get paid per month. Your monthly salary is independent of how many days of the week there is, how many days in the month there are. Or you get a weekly salary, or you get a yearly salary. But your salary can't be dependent on, on a specific amount of days, on a changing amount of days. Because the second a month changes... I didn't say that, yeah. I mean, it, it, it could be that... He just doesn't want you to say it like that. 
No, no, that's what he's saying. That's the that's the that's the condition. The condition is that you're going to pay per per day. Your daily rate, even though you're hiring you for a month, even there's an agreement for a month, but as long as your daily rate is is your is you're getting paid per day, you're getting paid a daily rate, even though the agreement's for a month, that's the the Ramon says is gonna be a problem. That that's definitely that's how Mr. Brewer lands it. How do you do it for Shabbat? For a week? No, that's 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 it's a it's a period called a week. It's unchanging. No, you're not. But it's unchanging. That's the discussion. It's unchanging. When something's unchanging, it's a month, a week, a year. It's unchanging, and and therefore I'm hiring you for the period of time. But I think I think that's Karen. I think we'll we'll try understand it a little bit better. I think we will get a bit more clarity, hopefully. But to begin, to begin, we're going to, and I think this really is the starting point of any discussion of time is we have to discuss what which what, what's something that's called Zeno Zeno's paradoxes. Now Zeno had many paradoxes. Zeno was a very, very early Greek philosopher and I think as far as I know none of his writings are remain, but he was quoted through all the Greek philosophers and he put and he he uh, proposed many paradoxes in how the world works. And he, what he wanted to say, his basic big idea with all these paradoxes was that you can't trust your senses, you can only trust logic, and he came out that change is all an illusion and everything is like a static thing. I don't really understand his uh, overarching philosophy, but what we're coming here for is to, under, is to use Zeno's paradoxes. And Zeno's paradoxes, as I said, they were quoted by all the, uh, many of the Greek philosophers, but and once we discuss Zeno's paradoxes and try to answer Zeno's paradoxes, will give us a great understanding of what time is and how time works. And just I just put in here Zeno's paradoxes as bought by Aristotle, but I think they they're bought in other places also. And as he never wrote them anyway, oh, he might have written them. We don't we don't have them written anyway. So this is the this is the one we're using. But we don't have to, you know, we don't run through inside. But the basic idea was like this. this we'll, we'll go through two of these paradoxes. The first paradox is called the dichotomy. So the dichotomy paradox works like this. If you have a person who has to cover a distance, okay? So he has to cover a distance of, let's call it 100 meters. When you have to cover the distance of 100 meters, you first go. If you cover half that distance, you cover 50 meters. You cover half that distance again, you cover 25 meters. You cover half that distance again, you cover 12 and a half meters. You cover half that distance again, Cover whatever that happens to be. Six points too far. You cover half that distance again, half that distance again, half that distance again. He says eventually every you always covering half that distance, but you never actually get to where you're going. You're always covering half the distance. You're always left with it. In the end, you're always going to be left with a minuscule amount left over. You're covering half the distance, half the distance, half the distance, half the distance, but you never get to the end because you always have to first cover half the distance. That's his paradox number one, or the paradox of the dichotomy. The next paradox, so and of course that's, it's going to be getting to microscopic amounts. It's going to get into very small amounts, but in the end of the day, you always have to first cover half the distance. And we see, and, and therefore you should never get get anywhere. And that's as he says here, the first asserts that the non-existence of motion on the ground. That which is locomotion must arrive at the halfway stage before it arrives at the goal. You always have to arrive at the halfway stage. Of however, however far the distance is you're covering, you always first have to get to the halfway stage or any other point. And therefore, you should never arrive at the goal. And says Zeno, the paradox is, we see you arrive at goals. We see you get places. You should never get anywhere because you have to cover an infinite amount of halves. 
you can halve something infinitely. You have to cover infinite amount of holes, and therefore you should never get something. You should never get anywhere. The next, the next paradox is what he called the, the Achilles and the tortoise paradox. Okay, so he says, that let's say you let the tortoise have the famous tortoise race, tortoise and Achilles having a race. The tortoise gets a head start because it's a tortoise. Achilles starts running. Now, for Achilles to overtake the tortoise, first, and this is the, the second paradox, first he has to reach the point where the tortoise started. Then he has to reach the next point. Then he has to reach the next point. Then he has to reach the next point. And he has to reach an infinite amount of points. So it's in a finite amount of time. Okay, because once again, there's an infinite amount of points. You can you can break this down infinitely within a finite amount of time. And as and you always have to be reaching, as the tortoise carries on trudging along, even though it's trudging along slowly, you mean Achilles has to reach an infinite amount of points that the tortoise is going. And as we said, in a finite amount of time. And that is not possible. Therefore, says you know, Achilles should never be able to to overtake the tortoise. However, we see that Achilles does overtake the tortoise. Therefore, says you know, you see that there is no such thing as change. You see that you can you can never um, you you can never have uh, you, you can never have change. There's no such thing as time. There's no such thing as motion because it's all paradoxical and it doesn't really. And basically, our senses are lying to us. That's what Zeno said. Zeno said our senses are lying to us. Aristotle came along with a bit of a different answer. We'll discuss his answer. We'll discuss. Uh, but let's let, before we start with that, with the answer, I just want to preface. Let, let's first discuss the answer of the Kalim. So the Kalim, or the Medabrim, as they're called in the Ramam, were a group of Muslim, I don't know if they would call themselves philosophers, but religious thinkers. Okay, they, I don't think, yeah, I don't even think they define themselves as philosophers, but they they were religious thinkers and they were people who tried to to merge science and the Quran, which I think people try to do today with Yiddishkeit. People have always tried to do today. Just um, in all honesty, the Rambam didn't think they did a great job, but uh, and, and but but we're going to have to see what they think. And they were quite influential, and there were lots of even. Jews who were influenced by the Kalim, by Kalim thought, Rav Sadiqo in lots of ways was influenced by Kalim thought, though particularly not in the points that we're going to discuss today. Um, so if we look at the source here from Moran Avuchim, Chalakal Perik, Ayn Base, the 72nd Perik, the Rambam says, like this, he says, there are 12 propositions that are common to all of the Kalim, all of the Mutter Kalim. However, different from the individual opinions and methods they may be, whatever difference they may or may not have, the Mutun Kalam require them in order, like different different people, different God, different people belong to the Mutun Kalam, they have different opinions. That if they Kalam philosophers, he says they have to have these 12 opinions. Okay? Which is very interesting. I read somewhere, and I can't actually remember where, and I wonder, well, please go find it, that there was no such Kalam philosopher that held all the 12 things that the Raman said. Individual person held all of the 12. So, my theory has always been that somehow, I don't know what, but somehow you need, logically, once you hold on most of them, you need the rest of them. But, okay, we'll leave that for another day. Would be an interesting theory to try and prove one day. But, the two, so he brings a, he brings a list of them, and then he talks about them a little bit further on then in the 72nd parak. But, two of the lists that he brings are, Atomri Shona, Lakaima Etzem, that, which is the first proposition, the first thing it says all Kalim people have to hold, 
He said, all things are composed of atoms. All, everything in the world. All matter, every, basically everything. And this is the opinion of um, what's called the atomists. They were also a group of Greek thinkers before Aristotle, of early Greek thinkers, or the atomists, that basically everything is made up of, of small particles. And the atomists actually held that, as far as I understand, is that everything was made up of the same small particles, and they were just the way they were distributed and the way they combined created new things. Then we, we and, and I think as far as I, I know, and I might be proven wrong, but I, I'm saying I think to, until today we don't know what the smallest particle is. So the smallest particle that the building blocks of the world. I mean, we still might still might. So now we've got these people called the the Thomists, but they translated many many years down the line to the Kalam philosophy. Now because Tom, because everything is created from atoms, says the says the Kalam, they say the Medabrim, the Hakdam Ashlishit Shazman Mukhbar May Itot. The third proposition is that Tom is composed of Tom atoms, of small Tom things. And eight being a Tom, Itot being lots of little Toms. Which means there is, let's call it, a smallest, smallest amount of Tom. You can everything is made up of of very small things combination of very small things but there is a piece there is something that you cannot break further down and that's why today even we have an atom and they thought you cannot break down the atom it happens to be that they have the atom but before that they and that's why they called an atom they thought it was the smallest thing in the world you cannot have an atom say the say the column that is the smallest thing in the world we don't know what it is but it, the world is made up of infinitely of an infinite amount of many many amounts of these very 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 small things that you cannot cut in half and therefore, not only is all matter made up of these infinitely small things, but so too time is, com is, is made up, is composed of very, very, very small time pieces. There is a smallest amount of time. There is a most minimal amount of time. Now, they used this concept to answer the question of Zeno. They said, you know, Zeno, why you're wrong? Because you think, you're saying that there's an infinite, that can halve distance infinitely. And therefore, and I can halve time infinitely. And therefore, I will get to an infinite. I'll, I'll be able to, I will always say you have to go half. You have to always half the distance to your goal. And halving the distance to your goal, I can do infinitely. And therefore, I will never get to my goal. Because I can go infinitely. I can, and I can halve the distance to the goal. Says, but say the column, they say, but in the end of the day, that's not true. I cannot halve distance infinitely. There comes a point where I have the smallest possible size. It might be minuscule, but there comes a point where I get there. And because I can't carry on halving it infinitely, it's just not possible. You can't halve that smallest atom, therefore you get to your goal. Even though, even though, um, yeah, we, we, we don't see it because it's so small. And they say the same thing's true in time. Interestingly enough, which is not on here, and it's not really the topic of conversation, but they're, they're one of the proofs that's known as the Kalam proof of, uh, of God, of creation, is that if you... If you say that the world was never created and the world's been around for an infinite amount of time, so they say, well, if you have an infinite amount of time, how do you ever get to the present? Because if you, let's say the world, if the world has been around for an infinite amount of time before now, so you can never get to the present because the present is not an, it basically would be the end of an infinite series and you cannot get to the end of an infinite series. That's their, their argument. You can argue it forward and back. There's a lot written about this, but it is an interesting, it is an interesting argument. Which, which does make quite a bit of sense, so you can argue. But that's the opinion of the color.
The Rambam argues with us. And the Rambam argues and he says, he says time is, is different to that. And time is based on the way Aristotle explains time. And the way Aristotle explains time is that time is what is called an accident of motion. An accident being at something that is connected to another thing, connected to something else, and but it's not an integral part of it. For example, when I say that this chair is black, black being an accident of the chair in philosophical terms. It is not a key part of the chair. It is something that comes from it being a chair. It happens to be black, but it is almost a side point of it being a chair. So now, time is an accident of motion. Motion being movement, motion actually is an accident of matter. Okay, so motion is connected to matter. It is a side effect of things. Things move. You have a side effect for motion. Time is a side effect of motion. Any time that there's motion, there has to be time. And in reality, what that means is time does not exist. Time is a measurement of motion. Time is a measurement of change. So you can tell me, and this is how we're going to answer Zeno's question, and this is the beginning of, of how we understand time. You can tell me that we're going to halve things, let's say, infinitely. Because motion just is also an accident, as we said, a matter. It's a mathematical theory. It's a mathematical formula. It doesn't, it doesn't exist in the physical world. It might exist. I'm not saying it doesn't exist. As you said, it's accidental. It's like it's, it's, like it's black. It's like it's bigger. It's like it's, you can talk of things being, being bigger, let's say, than something else, even though bigger doesn't exist in the world. But you can still talk of it being bigger. Time is a measurement. And therefore, and distance is a measurement between two points. Therefore, I can halve it infinitely amount of times, but it's not going to be a problem because I'm not actually covering that. Um, it's, it's purely a measurement of what I'm doing. So it's, it's almost like a mathematical idea. The same way as we can have unreal numbers. In engineering, you'll use non-real numbers, but they don't exist. They're not real. But I can still use them theoretically. I can still use them as a method of it's called a measurement. I can use it as a method of understanding the world. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And the Ram will tell you, as we're going to see, as we can see in the second parak, as the second chalik of Muram looking in Perikut base, if you look at the bolder part, the Ramam says, and this is very important also, because he understands, and he says like this, he says, even time itself is among the things created. For time depends on motion, i.e. on an accident in things which move. It is a side effect of things moving, of change. Change creates time. Time is a measurement of change, basically. And the things upon whose motion, uh, whose motion time depends on themselves created beings, which have passed from non-existence into existence. We say that Hashem created, is Hashem exist, existed before the creation of the universe, although the verb existed appears to codify imply the notion of time, we also believe that it exists in the infinite space of time before the universe was created. Basically, what we're saying is that time is a created being. Time is something that Hashem created. He didn't create, let's say, time in that sense. He didn't get up and create this thing called time. He created matter, which by default changes. There's motion, and time is a way of of, uh, of measuring motion and measuring change. But but it's created. It's not something that always was. There was no August Augustine asks, and it's one of the he asks, what did Hashem do before he created the world? And the answer is, according to the Rambam, there was no such thing as before Hashem created the world, because time is a measurement of change. There was no change before Hashem created the world. Therefore, there was no time. Hashem is above time. Hashem is, as he says also in the first paragraph of the Torah, Hashem is not in time. 
whatever that means. We cannot imagine something that's not eternal time because we are very time built into beings and we cannot even imagine. I don't think we can logically even think what's something that's not in time, but Hashem is not in time. So that is the opinion of the Rambam. The Rambam says that time is not made up of anything. It's not like the Kalam who say time was literally a creation. Hashem got up, he said, he got up in the morning, well, he got up in the morning, he got up on the first day and he created time, created a thing called time. And he says the Rambam, he didn't create time. There's no such thing as time per se. There's a thing called motion, which is measured by time, and therefore you have time. So now we come out with two separate ways of looking at time. There's also a third way of looking at time, which we'll, we'll touch on right now, but we've got well, there's two ways of looking at the creation called time. There's one way of looking at the creation called time is the way of the Medabun, the way of the Kalam, is that Hashem created a thing called time. And time is made up of an infinite amount of small things, or well, an amount of infinitely small things. Okay, little particles. There's a minimum amount of time that cannot be harmed. Okay? The Rambam, on the other hand, holds that time is not is a creation, but it wasn't created in the same way that there exists little things called time. But just to point out, even in the Kalam, it's not that time, there's, there's little things, and you can see, like in a movie, I don't know, the timeline passing in front of us. There's not actual time particles, but time is made up, there's the smallest amount of time. There's a time particle in a not physical sense. Or not and matter and sense. you said it's the same as blackness and whiteness. Yeah, so blackness doesn't exist. Blackness is a side effect of this chair being black. There's no such thing. I can't look at blackness. I cannot hold blackness. I cannot touch blackness. Blackness is, a, is, is an accident. It's a side effect of this chair. It doesn't actually exist. Whiteness doesn't actually exist. The, the, chair, does. the chair does. And the way I look at this chair and I see blackness, but I cannot hold blackness. Blackness is dependent on chairs. Blackness is dependent on there being matter. Time is not, you cannot hold time. Time exists as long as there's change. And that's the, and that's really the, the, the actually, we can get into the third opinion before we get into the fourth opinion. But Plato actually says that time is purely a measurement of the movement of the sun, the moon, and the stars, or the celestial bodies. And as Aristotle says, he says that well, that's not true. As long as, if the, even if the sun, moon, and stars would stop moving, Okay, the time would still carry on because it's a measurement of any change, of all change. It doesn't have to be the sun, moon, and stars. That's our choice. We choose to measure our time based on the sun because the sun is a, it's a, it's a practical way to measure time based on the sun going up and down. Let's say not, not within the Torah world, just in practical day and night. You measure, you, we use the sun and the sun rising and setting. We use the solar year of how long it takes for the earth to go around the sun to practically measure time, because we have to measure things, we have to know when things happen, you have to know morning, yeah, you have to know all these things, but it's a practical choice, but really we could measure any change, we could measure time is based on change happening, it's a measurement of change happening, so even if it wasn't the sun, moon and stars, as long as there is change in the world, there would be time, the second change started, that was the beginning of time, and if one day, I don't know, change would end, that would be the end of time, then the Rambam says that time is a created thing, also as a side point, the Rambam is coming to disagree with Aristotle because Aristotle says the world is an infinite amount of time old. And Rambam is saying that that's not true. And that's what he's trying to do over there in Chalek Bay is Perik Yudbet. So we come up with those two shitters. But I thought he goes with Aristotle. Yeah, he does. No, he goes with Aristotle and that time is dependent on motion. He also just says that time is created rather than time being an eternal thing because Aristotle says that motion is eternal because God, is inter- God, God and the world together are somehow eternal. Aristotle's view of God is very different to our view of God. 
that God in the world is somehow eternal, and because God in the world is somehow eternal, therefore motion and time has been is has been going for an infinite amount of time. And that's why I said this is one of the uh, interesting enough that Ramon doesn't use this, this this proof, but one of the proofs for creation is if the world's been going for an infinite amount of time. Well, then how did we get to today? Because that might be according to the Rambam. No, that's well, according to the the Kalam. I mean, I couldn't. I was thinking. I always think he, he, he doesn't use it. He doesn't use it, but I'm not sure why. Because Rav Sajagon does use that proof as a proof of creation. Very sound point. But he does use that proof as a proof of creation, and he also holds that time is the same as the Rambam. That time is not made up of of small pieces, but rather, and if we're going to put it, time is is one big lump. Time is time is if we can put it. Time is like this table, even though this table is made up of many many small pieces. But if we look at it, I don't see a piece of wood connected to a piece of wood, 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 or an infinite amount of those things connected. I see one table altogether. And therefore, and in theory, I could have this table an infinite amount of times. There is no smallest particle of this table. Might be that there is. But when I look at this table, I do not see that. And that is what the Raman holds. The Raman holds there is no such smallest particle at time. Time is one big, one big uh, lump. Time is one big spectrum. Time is one big... I don't know if spectrum is the right word. Time is one continuous spectrum that doesn't is not made up of parts. That is one one chetza, one atom that can be that that doesn't have its smallest size and can be can be infinitely can be infinitely split. There is an infinite amount of you can cut time in, in theory into an infinite amount of time. Because time is not made up of little particles, so therefore it can be cut and cut and cut and cut and cut and cut and cut, and cut. infinitely. And this, okay. So now we're just going to get into one more shita, and then we're going to discuss the Ramah. There's a Medrash Rabbah in Brachid Rabbah, which is here on the page. We said like this: Rabbi Huda Bar Shimon said, the pasuk does not say, "Let there be evening." Okay, hear it. Okay, rather it says, Elav it says, and it was evening. From here, in fact, it says, Vayherev Mikan Sheyasaydez Malim Kodem Lachem. From here we see that there was a there was time before this, time before Hashem created the first evening. Vayherev Vayivake Yom Rishon, it was evening, it was morning on the first day. Says the Medrash, before there was evening and morning on the first day, there was already time, there was already Zmanim before this. Says the Matanot Guna, who's one of the famous commentaries on the on the Medrash, he says, Even before Hashem, Hashem hung the the celestial bodies, this is on the first day, another one he on the fourth day of the celestial bodies, it was clear in front of Hashem the 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 amount of a day and the amount of night, the, what is time, and therefore there was time, there was clearly time before him. There was a day, there was a period of time called day, there was a period of time called night. And it was before even Hashem created the celestial bodies, and the Pashtas, it was before even time was, before even matter was created. And this leads us to our third approach in sports, as far as I know, I'm sure there's more, but as far as I know in the Jewish philosophers, it's the third approach, the approach of Hastag Prashkash, who is who was the author of the Or Hashem, in the Or Hashem, in the first part of Or Hashem, Chastai Prashkash comes to argue with the Rambam. Because the Rambam writes, based on 26 propositions, trying to prove the Hashem. So 26 propositions in Athenian science, trying to prove Hashem, and trying to prove Hashem in a completely logical, disprovable way. 
So you can uh, sorry, completely, completely logical, provable way, and that you cannot disprove his proof. He says it's based on logical soliloquies. I'm definitely not pronouncing that right, but he tries to disprove Hashem. I mean, he tries to prove Hashem. So now Rachastai Krashkas comes along and says, even though he agrees that Hashem created the world and he agrees with all these things, he says he cannot prove it, which he says interestingly is Akdama. He goes into a whole thing there when he disagrees with lots of with most things in Aristotelian physics. And a lot of Aristotelian philosophy. And what he says is. So he says you can't prove it. He says you can't prove God. You cannot prove God. The Ramam says you can prove God definitively. And Chastai Krashka says you cannot prove God. And he says if you could prove God, then there'd be no mitzvah of believing in God. Because believing in God, you, they can't have a mitzvah of something that's definitively provable. But you can look over there in the Akdama to Arashem. But Chastai Krashka over here says in Chelek Aleph, Perik, Yud. He says, for the correct definition of time, of which he disagrees there. He completely disagrees with the Ram. He says, he's wrong. As it seems is, the measure of the continuous, of the continuousness of motion or rest between two instants. Now, just as a very, uh, just to talk about, it's clear from the context, that I didn't bring it, but it's clear from the context that he's arguing on the Rambam. It's clear from the context, he comes clear to arguing on the Rambam. The problem is he says this thing that sounds very, very similar to the Rambam. Now, rest. So that's what. So that's the point you've you've kept on the, the 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 point that I think makes the difference is not just me and this seems to be the way the Welt the it's really the more academic world but how they learn this Rashem is that the a time is based on even the difference in thoughts in consciousness so Hashem who's conscious would have there would have been time already when Hashem was conscious before whatever that means that Hashem is conscious. But whatever Hashem, whatever in that sense that Hashem is conscious, there was time before creation. But time is purely a conscious thing. It's purely something in the mind. It's purely theoretical. It doesn't exist. As we said, blackness in the Rambam, for example, blackness exists. It just doesn't exist by itself. Time exists the same as blackness exists. It just doesn't exist by itself. Well, you're describing it as the difference between thoughts, which could be considered brain movements, electrical. No, 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 but we're saying that. Yeah, he's saying he's saying even in godly thought, even in Hashem's consciousness, that's how the the rest of Hashem's consciousness. That seems to be how they explain it. In all honesty, I do not see it there, but that seems to be how they explain it. And and the basic idea is that it's some kind of theoretical concept. It doesn't actually exist. Time is the same way the Rambam says. It's not even doesn't exist the way the Medrashim say. It's much more theoretical concept. I don't really understand it, but it does seem to be the only way it can be that if there was time happening before creation. If time, assuming Hashem created the world, and you can't say that there was time before creation, it's very hard to say that there was a theoretical, that it was an actual concept of time before creation, because and that God was in there, because that means God would be dependent on time, and God cannot be dependent on anything. So therefore, it has to be a theoretical thing. So this is brought in Hashem. This is Augustine's theory on time. Also, it happens to be, and that, that's the third approach, which we're not really going to deal with. But they were saying Hashem's having different thoughts before creation. Yeah, or whatever conscious no. consciousness is much more than thoughts. We it's a measurement of consciousness. We would say absolute simplicity. No, but that's so I wouldn't say call it thoughts. I would call it consciousness. Consciousness, existence. There's no change in the consciousness. So that yeah, you you are you could. I, I would I would say it's beyond my understanding of what Hashem's consciousness is. And uh, yeah, I actually agree with you 100. I don't really understand that measurement, but it's a theoretical measurement. Are we not really going to deal with that? I just bought that for the sake of completeness. And this is the, the, the this, I mean, it's not only his, it's also bought in the other philosophers. But, uh, 
we can we can try work out what that means. But what I would like to do is discuss the other two opinions that whether the, the Madabrim and the Shit of the Rama. So the Ramal, just as a side point, just also a very important point, the Ramal brings and it works out nicely because now we're in Omer, the Ramal brings here in Torah Ta'ola Khalakvait, Perik Lamin, thirtieth Perik. He says like this, he says the Mincha of the Omer is against the third Hagdoma, the third proposition of the Madabrim. Okay, and what is the third proposition of the Madabrim? Is that that time is made up of small parts of time, of time atoms. And that is what the Mincha the of the Omer is coming to represent. And what is that? That when we count the Omer, we count moment after moment. We are counting, he's counting maybe a collection of moments, but what, we, what it represents in the Mincha, the Mincha is a collection of flour. Flour being bound together. We bind together all of these small particles of time. And by that, we complete the time between Pesach and Shavuos. He goes on to discuss other points of time. That time might even be relative to a person. A person who is suffering feels time much more. A person who is lazy might feel that the world, that the day is short. As it says, as the man cuts Okay, the, the time is short and the work is long. But the work is only lazy. Why? Therefore, their day is short. Could be. But it says the Ramah, so it could be that time is felt differently by different people. But that's what he also comes to talk about. But the basic idea is that Ramah is going with this concept that time is made up of time particles. And therefore, the Omer represents this collection of time particles, the Mincha, the, collect, the combination of flour, coming together, all these small particles come together to create something which represents the counting between Pesach and Shavuot. And now we see that the Ramah, the Ramah Batam holds that time is made up of many, many particles. And because time is made up of many, many particles, he seems to be going like the color. So we have, at least within our Jewish philosophy, and the Ramor was uh, was one of the the latest of the very. I'm saying he was a, he was a one of the big philosophers, not known as it, but he wrote this whole saber called Torah Ta'ala. He quotes philosophy. He knew all the philosophers. He does say he knew them all from all the Jewish texts. I don't know if he learned the Greek philosophers from the source text, but he knew them all from the Rambam, the Ralbag, and the various other Jewish philosophers. And he actually had a big fight with the Marshal about his learning philosophy. But there are more holds that time is made up of small particles. And this is actually a machlokis. This is a machlokis bought in the Gomorrah. It is getting late and we will not go into it so much. But the Rogachava, I also wanted to discuss, and maybe Mitzvah we can discuss next week a bit more. And the Rogachava proves that this machlokis of his time made up of many, many particles, or if it's one, long one period of time that is infinitely divisible but it's not actually made up of any particles it is one that is almost like a dough i think a dough is actually a good example for it even though the ramor brings the dough as something made up of many particles but once you have a dough a dough is a dough however many times you divide it a dough is not made up of many parts a dough the way we see it is just a piece of dough and i can cut that dough into an infinite amount of pieces and it will always be dough it never changes so my table example was really a bad example but dough is actually a very nice example. But the, the one concept that I thought would be a nice way of showing this before we go back to Aschar Shabbat is there's a concept, and we'll do it very quickly, called a matonalisman. And a matonalisman goes like this. We know that you can give, if, if I have a lulav and etrog on Yom Tif, and this is the example both, I have a lulav and etrog on first day Yom Tif of Sukkot, and I want to give it to you, 
and I want you to be Yotzi. So now you have to own the Lord of an Etrog on first day on to be Yotzi. So I can give it to you, says the Gemara, I can give it to you, I'm a tana, I'm a nat I can give you a present on condition that you give it back to me. And that is one way that you can, that you can, um, that you can give someone your lulav, making sure that you get it back. I give you a present on condition you give it back to me. If you give it back to me, then the present took effect. When you shook your lulav and etrog, it was yours at that point in time, and you makam your mitzvah. When, if you don't give it back to me, then the present never took effect, therefore you're not makam your mitzvah, and therefore you, yeah, and therefore you're, and you also happen to be stealing my lulav and etrog because you didn't give it back to me. And the president never actually took effect. But there's a big discussion, a big question. How do you give a child? A child wants to borrow your little manetrog. If you give him your little manetrog, a child has the ability to acquire things, but he doesn't have the ability to give a present. He doesn't have the ability to give it back. So you cannot do a matanaman atlasi because a child, although he has the ability to acquire it, but he doesn't have the ability to give it back to you. So it could be that you have to give it to your child after you've already been your tea doesn't work so well again it's because you still need to kind of it on the second day and on the second day you still need it to be yours so what do you do with a child so one of the answers brought by the in Simon Malif brought and based on idea of Arava Vigdor cats is a concept called you give a present for a fixed amount of time and even though Okay, I give you a present for a fixed amount of time. Now, fix a present for a fixed amount of time. So, and, and then what happens? So, you get your present and you don't have to give it back to me. You don't have to do an action of giving back to me. At the end of that period of time, it just comes back to me because you can own it for only a certain amount of time. And this is a big discussion of how we can understand this concept of what is a matonim's life. Now, a very nice way of explaining this concept might be to make this concept, this makhloket, and because most of the Rishonim actually hold, the Rambam, chief among them, could be that you cannot do a matanah's man, you cannot give a present for a fixed amount of time. Every present, every it doesn't just go back to me. And we can maybe we can understand like this. Why would a matanah's man work? If you say that time is made up of many, many particles, many, many small things, the same way as I can give you a present of a portion of my field, I can cut this portion of my field, from the north, say 20 meters, and I can give you that as a present. So too, I can split time up, and I can give you a present of a portion of time. I can give you a present of this amount of time. You can have this as a present for the next hour. Because time is split, and you can split it up, you can cut it. It is malleable. And therefore, my tonne's money work, according to this, the madab, let's say, according to that way of looking at the world. But if you look at the world, the time is one big thing. One, time is a dough. And time cannot be split. Time is one big dough. And the only way really that we can split time is when the Torah tells us to split time. And this goes back to our discussion we've had before of how the Rambam looks at the world. The Rambam looks at the world. There's a physical way of looking at the world. The way the world was created. But then there's also the way that the Torah comes and split things up. The Torah comes along and tells us that, there's, that sometimes you have, to be, you have to worry about day and night. You have to be, worry about days. You have to be worried about weeks. You have to worry about months. The Torah comes along and tells me you have to worry about years. But without the Torah splitting up the day for me and splitting up hours within the day, it does. Time is really, in reality, is just one big dough. It's a continuous dough that is not. It's not made up of pieces. It is all one, one uh, convergent thing. And therefore, you cannot split up. It is not like land. It is not like my field that I can say you take from here all the way to the north. 
or you take from here 20 meters because time is not splitting upable. But when, if I say like the column, the time is split upable, that time is made up of tiny, tiny atoms. So therefore, I can say you take these a thousand atoms. You take this hour, and it can be yours. The same way as I can sell my field. And that would be, I think, a beautiful way of understanding this equation. But now we'll finish off and we'll go back to the beginning and we can understand, and based on what we've seen tonight, we can understand the beautiful makhlukas between the Rambam and the Ramah. The, Ram, the Ramah hold that I can get, that Tzachar Shabbos is the second I start changing the terms and conditions. The second I start saying, this month you're going to get, this month you're going to get 30, there's 30 days, so you're going to get 30,000 rand. And next month there's 29 days, you're going to get 29,000 rand. Then it says that Ramah, I can split up time. Time is made to be split up. Without the Torah, time is made still to be split up. And therefore, the second I start making cheshboinus, and I say, you get 30, you get 29, I've split up time. I've created time, and now I'm limiting time to days of the week. Because I'm breaking it up into days of the week. But says the Rambam, time is one big, I like this example, one big dough. And therefore, I cannot split it up arbitrarily. As long as I am arbitrarily splitting up into a month, into a week, into a, a day. It is an arbitrary split, and therefore it doesn't matter how big my arbitrary split is. It's all included. I cannot split it into days. Days is a cut, is a breakup that isn't here, because it's not true. The time is one big dough. It's not split up into days. Therefore it's always included. Everything is melded together. Everything is swallowed one in another, and it's beautiful. The Russian Rashi says, Nivla. And the Poiskim called this, this concept of Shabbos Shabbos Havlah. It's swallowed. It gets included. The Shabbos is included with the rest of the, with the month. With this concept of month. It doesn't matter how big my month is. Shabbos is included with it. Shabbos is, is, is melded into it. It doesn't matter how long. If it's 29, it's 28, it's a second, it's a month. Shabbos is melded into it. The second is a week. The second even, if you look at the last, last page, the Mishnah Burra brings that you can. Can I put this one on here? I actually did put the wrong Mishnah on, but we'll leave that out. Is that in theory, oh yeah, um, is that as long as you put, as long as you give even a little bit of Erev Shabbos before, and a little bit of Motah Shabbos after, you don't even need both. As long as there's a little bit of time that's not just Shabbos, okay, and this is according to the opinion that is Choylek on the Ramah, disagrees the Ramah, as long as you put in a little bit of time that's not just Shabbos, you have made time, you have swallowed Shabbos into the other time, and you, what you're doing is not giving Tzachar Shabbos. There is no time where Shabbos is separate. And that is the issue. The issue is when Shabbos becomes separate. When I split Shabbos up. Okay, when, when I'm all I'm giving, when it's mafurish, when it's explicit that it's Chav Shabbos. So as long as Shabbos is included, is nivle, is swallowed with another day of the week, with another time, even with another hour in the, another hour, then, and, and that, I think, uh, if you if you look in the modern day post game, that seems to be how we pass again, the Shemir Shabbos brings, that if you need, uh, for example, a waiter, to work on Shabbos, then you should do a little thing before Shabbos. Because as long as there's some work done before Shabbos, even though his main work is going to be on Shabbos, that he, there's the swallowing. Tam has been, it has been swallowed into this big gush called Tam that's not split into days and weeks and months and years. And as long as you don't have Shabbos and Shabbos by itself, therefore it is not going to be a problem with Shabbos. But the Ramah, who we saw in Torah Ta'ola, holds that the Tam is split into many, many pieces. And therefore, time is split, and you have a piece of time called Shabbos. You have it because time is split. And as long as, as long as I'm specifying that Shabbos is different, because time is split and time is different, therefore it will be a problem of Shabbos, because 
because time is broken up into many parts and therefore there is a breakdown of there is a breakup within time and therefore and I'm all hold that there is a problem of Shkari Shabbos as long as I specify that the, this month will be 29 days and this month 30 days because the month is made up of many, many smaller parts called days. It's made up of many, many smaller parts called hours. It's made up of many, many smaller parts called minutes and then seconds and then these little time atoms. And that is, a, I think, a beautiful way to understand this Machlokes, Rambam and Medabrim. The Nafgaminas, how the Rambam and the, the Ramal would learn the concept of Shkari Shabbos and Ibnaz uh, Hashem will carry on next week with a bit more about time. Thank you for listening to Marian Talmud. We hope you found this episode insightful and thought-provoking. As we continue to explore the philosophical concepts of Marian and the Talmud, we encourage you to share your thoughts and questions with us. Let's continue this conversation and deepen our understanding together. Don't forget to subscribe and tune in for our next episode.